Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great goodness toward us. You declare in your word, and everybody who knows you has declared you're merciful, you're gracious, you're long-suffering. Yes, you have given the law, but you forgive those of us who are lawbreakers time and time again. Father, we want to thank you for those men who have invested this weekend to get alone and to fellowship with each other and to improve their own walks and marriages, etc. Bless that retreat as they gather and finish this up tomorrow. Then, Father, for the team that's going out from here Monday morning, we pray, Lord, that they get adequate rest before and even during the time they're out there because it's going to be a a trying time for them. We pray that you'd honor their volunteer efforts, give them the words, the attitude, and I pray, Lord, that their help would be well-placed and you'd use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're continuing our series on God's top ten, the Ten Commandments. I've entitled this message after what is commonly said in courtrooms whenever a person is put on the stand and they're asked to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There was a sergeant in the military who was very frustrated when nine of his GIs didn't appear for morning roll call. They had been given a pass. They had been out. But he expected them the next day at roll call. None of them showed up. The first one straggled in at 7 o'clock in the evening. And he said, Sergeant, I'm so sorry. I had a date last night. And I missed the bus back. But determined to get here on time, I hired a taxi cab. But the taxi cab broke down halfway here. So I ran into a nearby farmhouse and persuaded a farmer to sell me one of his horses. And I was riding the horse back here, and the horse on the way dropped down dead in the road. So I walked the last ten miles. And here I am. Well, the sergeant was very skeptical at this story, but decided to let it pass. A little time later, seven more straggler GIs came in, all with exactly the same story. Had a date, missed the bus, took the cab, bought a horse, etc. Well, now the guy's very frustrated, very angry. Finally, the ninth GI comes in. Sir, I'm so sorry, he said, but I had a date last night. And I missed the bus back. And so I hired a cab. And finally the sergeant said, wait, 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 wait. I know. And the cab broke down, right? And the GI said, "Uh, no, Sarge, Uh, the cab didn't break down. It was just that there were so many dead horses in the road, we had trouble getting through. (laughs) I'll let you unravel that one. In Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon gives a list of seven things that God hates. And on that list are a lying tongue, 
and a false witness who speaks lies. In a book that I have found very interesting for a long time, uh, Patterson Kim Research Poll, in a chapter they call American Liars, they report 91% of Americans admit to lying routinely about matters they consider trivial. But 36% of these say they tell big lies about important matters that hurt other people. In that very same chapter, he gives a breakdown. According to their research, men lie more than women. Do you, do you agree with that? <laughs> I, I, I'm not getting answers for a good reason. Young men lie more than older men. The unemployed lie more than those with jobs. The poor lie more than the rich. Liberals lie more than conservatives. <laughs> Who do they lie the most to? Again, the same chapter. Americans confess to lying mostly to first parents, second friends, third siblings, and least of all to doctors, accountants, clergymen, and last of all, to lawyers. Though 42% in the same poll believe they have been lied to by lawyers. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth is what God expects when He gives this ninth commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Again, another short one. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Bearing false witness against your neighbor. Now this commandment, like all the other commandments, tell us a great deal. Even though it's a short package, this commandment touches on three truths. It touches on the character of God. It implies that we're dealing with a God who loves the truth. Moses, the lawgiver, in Deuteronomy 32, in his song called the Song of Moses, one of the verses, his ways are justice, a God of truth without injustice, righteous and upright is he. David would agree after he sinned with Bathsheba and he wrote that famous Psalm 51, he said, Lord, you desire truth in the inward parts. Both of them knew that the God they were dealing with was a God of truth. And thus, falsehood cannot be tolerated long in the presence of one whose character and essence is essentially true and who is truth. Even Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So because God is true, he's going to have a problem with falsehood. That makes sense. Uh, imagine what it would be like for a, a concert pianist with perfect pitch to be forced to play at some old out-of-tune honky-tonk bar piano. His sense of pitch and harmony and that disharmony in the piano won't last very long. Or imagine a NASCAR driver who's used to pure power and performance driving a 72 Ford Pinto. Anybody remember those? <laughs> that sense of power that he's used to and perfection in, in motoring was lost. 
In the same fashion, in Proverbs 12, 22, we read, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Well, this commandment, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness. The Hebrew word false in that little phrase, false witness, is sheker. And sheker is often translated deceptive or betraying testimony. Deceptive or betraying testimony. A perjurer, it could be translated. And and such a person was always ill-treated and looked down and ill-regarded in Jewish history. Proverbs 25, listen to this description. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Now, because such a person can be so damaging to so many people, Jewish law made sure that people's testimony in their courts would be reliable. And here were their stipulations. First of all, never was one witness sufficient. There had to be at least two witnesses before a charge could even be sustained and brought to court. Second, the witnesses were always examined independently. And if there was any contradiction, the evidence was considered invalid. A person then, third, could only testify on what they had actually heard or actually seen. It could not be through another party. They had to actually be witnesses. And finally, anyone under the least shadow of suspicion was ineligible. And what would make them ineligible? If a witness took money for their testimony, if a person was related to a person on trial, if the witness was a dice player or an extortionist, that was enough to have them taken away as a witness. Also, there were stiff penalties for somebody who bore false witness in a legal case. Sometimes the witness, if perjured under oath, would be given the same sentence as the one on trial, and in some cases even double the sentence. So that if the sentence would have been 40 lashes, 40 stripes, as was typical in Roman courts, then the false witness would be given 80. So they weren't tolerated. So all of the commandments that we have looked at so far somehow reflect on the character of God. And this one reflects on the character of the truth of God, that God is a God of truth and that He loves truth. And so He introduces Himself this way in Exodus 34 when Moses said, Show me your glory. And God said, If I do that, you'll just burn up. And so God passes by in some fashion and declares His character, declares His name, And part of the description is, I am abounding in goodness and in truth. Okay, if God is a God of truth, then it follows that His children will also love the truth and be concerned about it. And so it is in the New Testament when Paul gives us that beautiful essay in 1 Corinthians 13 on love. He writes, love does not delight in evil. But love rejoices in the truth. 
Love rejoices in the truth. So then, one of the most loving things you could ever do for a person is to tell them the truth. Now, the Bible also says that you should speak the truth in love. Sometimes you can speak the truth, but in such an unloving way that you turn everybody off. Having said that, though, one of the most loving things you can do is to tell people the truth. And I encourage you to tell people the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Tell them the truth about eternity. Tell them the truth about heaven. Tell them the truth about hell. Tell them the truth about deception and false doctrine, mortality. Jesus told the truth when it was pleasant and unpleasant to tell the truth. On one occasion, he said to Simon Peter, one of his close followers, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Aren't those gracious, loving, great, pleasant words? Wouldn't you love it if Jesus came up to you and said, Blessed are you, Sally, George, Frank. And he spoke the truth when it was pleasant. Other times it wasn't so pleasant, but he still spoke the truth. You recall the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23. And Jesus unleashed some harsh words saying, You serpents, you brood of vipers, who has warned you from the wrath that is to come on you. That wasn't very pleasant to say and it wasn't very pleasant to hear. But because they reached such a hardness of their heart, Jesus, the incarnate of all of, spoke that truth to them in that occasion. I have a friend who is an apologist and he's quite well known and he often asks his radio audience this question, are you willing to do for the truth what cultists are willing to do for a lie? Are you willing to do for the truth what cultists do for a lie? Speaking the truth. Back in the fourth century AD, there was a patriarch of a place in northern Africa. His name was Athanasius. And it was a very critical time in church history when uh, the deity of Christ was being called into question by some and the Trinity was being called into question by some. And at the forefront of that heresy was a guy named Arius and his followers who was known as the Arian heresy. And Athanasius took his stand as a church leader the patriarch of Alexandria at the time, against this heretical doctrine. And it didn't bring him into favor with everybody. And at one point, one of Athanasius' close assistants said, Athanasius, it seems that the world is against you. And Athanasius replied and said, If the whole world is against the truth, then Athanasius will be against the whole world willing to speak the truth. And the truth is the truth. God cannot lie, and His truth cannot be changed, and His gospel is never negotiable. So this tells us, first of all, that we're dealing with the character of God. He is a God of truth. It also touches on the credibility of man. The very fact that in the top ten list this is going to be included shows us that God understands human character. Indeed, He does. It infers that man has a problem with truth. Hence the commandment, you shall not bear false witness. So just like we read at the beginning, 
with the Patterson-Kim research polls and others. People have trouble telling the truth. And it's basically because of our nature post-fall. After the fall, we've had a problem with it ever since. In ancient China, the Chinese wanted to build a wall. And I stood at the foot of that great wall of China and walked across a portion of it. And I was told the story of it. They wanted to build a a wall so high that people couldn't climb over it, so thick people couldn't bust through it, and so long they couldn't go around it. And yet within the first 100 years of the Great Wall of China's existence, invaders came through it three times. And simply because they understood human nature, they bribed the gatekeepers. They understood the weakness wasn't in the structure. If we're going to find weakness, it will be in character. And here the Chinese had spent so much of their money and efforts in building structure and not enough in building character. The problem lies with us. Our character is flawed, and the Bible says it's flawed from birth. Parents, I know you've got wonderful kids. And some of you even think your kids are more wonderful than everybody else's kids. That's a prerogative of especially grandparents, but some parents as well. But did you ever have to teach your kids to lie just because they were so perfect you needed to just balance them out so they'd be like everybody else? No, I bet you had the experience that everybody else has that they were in the course of their upbringing, maybe engaged or caught in such an enterprise, and you had to correct it and tell them why they weren't to lie. Now, we know that man was created in God's image, but we also know that the image was marred, and it was marred at the fall. And so the psalmist declares this, Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward and speak lies. And Proverbs 22, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. So the fall of man is reflected in man's propensity to lie, to tell untruth. Like Satan, who was the one who perpetrated the fall from the beginning. It was all about lies. Satan is called the father of lies. He lied in the garden. Has God said, oh, he won't do that. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you belong to your father, the devil, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Which means when we deliberately engage in a lie, we are shadowing Not God's personality, but Satan's personality. We're becoming an ally. No wonder then, in the New Testament book of Acts, Peter said to Ananias in the early church, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So the commandment touches on the character of God. It touches on the credibility of man and also on the core issue of integrity. That's really what the commandment is all about. Integrity. The word integrity is a beautiful word. It means whole or undivided. Moral uprightness is the idea of integrity. Integrity is 
being what you say. And verbal integrity is underwritten in this entire commandment. Living with your life what you say with your lips. Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or literally, from the overflow of what's inside the heart, the real you, the inner core, the mouth will speak. So that our mouths give us away eventually. The mouths at some point will reveal what the condition of the heart is. There was a teacher who said to one student who was particularly sloppy, she said to this young boy, why don't you brush your teeth? Yeah, I can see what you had for breakfast today. And he said, what did I have? He was a smart aleck. She said, you had eggs. He said, "Uh uh-uh, that was yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty gross. Well, let me, in culling through the scripture in a glance, give you a few different ways that verbal integrity is breached. First of all, slander. Slander would fall under this commandment. You shall not bear false witness. Slander is ruining another's character on purpose. It says in Proverbs 12:18, there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. Very descriptive. It's like an old Japanese proverb that says, the tongue's only three inches long, it can kill a man six feet tall. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. Ever met a sharp-tongued individual? Ever been around such a person who's got that bite all the time and slanders other people? A verbal terminator. You know what the uh, translation of the word devil is? Devil is diabolos in Greek. It means false accuser or slanderer. A person who's a slanderer, it's like he walks up to the devil and says, we're partners. That's his job. He's called, remember Revelation 12, the accuser of the brethren who accuses them night and day before God. So slander is one way. A second way is exaggeration. <laughs> Americans, we're famous for this. Hyperbole is our, is our middle name. That weighs a ton. I'm starving to death. Oh, I must have driven for a million miles. You know, we stretch everything out. It can be harmless. Sometimes it can be dangerous. For instance, in a relationship, if the wife says, Oh, my husband is always late, or my wife is never nice, those aren't good things to say. They can do a lot of damage. In 1492, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, on his first trip westward, Because he knew that his crew aboard the ship was skittish about spending too much time out at sea, far away, without knowing where they were going, Columbus, it is said, kept two logs of his journey, two sets of logs. One, he computed, calculated what were the actual distances according to his calculation. The second set of logs 
were to calculate shorter distances on purpose so that his men wouldn't think they're too far away from home. Here's the, here's the twist, however. The irony is his false set of books were more accurate, come to find out, than what his own calculations were. So even his, his own lies, his own foreshortened exaggerations were more accurate than what he thought were his actual distances. But in exaggeration, I think certain testimonies can be like that. I've heard testimonies by people, and then I've heard them told again, and then I've heard them told again, and it sort of seems that with some people, as they tell their testimony, because they know if they add more juicy stuff, they get a rise out of people, that it's sort of like a fish story. You know how the fish grows every time it's told? How big it was? And so the guy starts out, maybe, you know, I I drank a beer in high school, and then later on it's like I had an alcoholic problem. God delivered me from alcoholism. No, God needs to deliver you from lying. (laughs) When you tell your testimony, you don't have to add spice to make it more dramatic. Jesus loves to save anybody from anything. But it can be exaggerated. A third way is, or a, a third way is gossip. Gossip. Now, the Bible has a unique description of gossip. The Bible calls it tail-bearing. Tail-bearing. And talks about those who are tail-bearers. That means telling something without proper investigation. And uh, a tail-bearer will peddle gossip. And there's lots of people who love to hear it. It has always, always amazed me that in the church that Christians generally love gossip. It's fun to hear. Proverbs 18, the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. They go down into the inmost body. I discovered something, however, as I was studying through this. The Hebrew word for tail-bearing and tail-bear in the Old Testament is anah, and it appears 329 times in the Old Testament. Forty-two of those times, it's not translated to speak. It's translated to hear. Same word. Isn't that interesting? Not translated to tell something, but to hear something. I think the point being is there wouldn't be so many open mouths if there weren't so many open ears. Tell me more. I want to pray more about that. Brother, sister. So can I encourage you to apply a five-fold test to people who would want to give you an evil report about anything or anyone? A five-fold test. These five questions, let this be your grid before entertaining and receiving an evil report. Number one, what is your reason for telling me this? Now, they might say, I'm just concerned, but you might dig and find out it's jealousy, it's anger, they're lashing out. Number two, where did you get your information? Give me a source. Oh, I don't want to reveal my sources. Then don't entertain the report. Number three, have you gone directly to those involved, or are you just picking up more hearsay? Did you personally go and try to resolve this with that person? Number four, Have you personally checked out all the facts? Have you gone to investigate this and gotten all the facts? You know the old axiom. 
Figures don't lie, but liars sure can figure. Get all the facts. And number five, can I quote you on this? I love to use that one. And I love to see the response on the face. Well, thank you for telling me this. If you don't mind, let me take your name down because I'm going to quote you. Leave me out of this. I encourage you, apply that five-question grid before receiving an evil report. Fourth, flattery. I think that falls under this commandment. Flattery. False praise. You're saying things you don't really mean, but you're saying them because you know that people like to hear them and you can manipulate them. That's flattery. By the way, the English word flattery comes from a French word that means to caress or stroke with the flat of one's hand. Stroking the person, giving them feel-good stuff just because you know what you can get out of it. Thomas Brooks used to say, while a donkey is being stroked on the belly, you can lay any burden on its back. Flattery. Proverbs 26, a flattering mouth works ruin. Why? Because it's not real. It appeals only to the ego. It's not sincere. Now, some of you will remember, and I know there's better examples, but I'm stuck in that time warp. When I say the name Eddie Haskell, does anybody resonate with that? You remember Leave it to Beaver. And Eddie Haskell was the quintessential flatterer. Hello, Mrs. Cleaver. You look so nice today. And he was always buttering up Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver because he was a weasel. Now, flattery is different than encouragement. Encouragement is good. There's not enough genuine encouragement in the church. Encouragement is stuff you say that you mean. It's from the heart. Uh, Flattery is just gushing out compliments to win favor. I think that falls under bearing false witness. And then fifth and finally, excuses to escape consequences. We call these white lies. Excuses to escape consequences. The evangelist Billy Sunday used to call an excuse, an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Very descriptive. It's what teachers tell students, or students tell teachers as to why their assignment was late. Or like the story I've told you about the four boys that missed class and they said we had a flat tire, so the teacher said you missed the test. First question, she put them in four corners. Which tire was flat? Ephesians chapter 4, we read, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. We speak truth because we are one family and we are related to the God of truth who loves truth. And so because we're members one of another, we put speaking lies and falsehood far from us. Basic principle, a closed mouth gathers no feet. (laughs) Better to not say it than to say it and regret it. Jesus put it this way, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And that is a beautiful encapsulated description of verbal integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So you shall not bear false witness. Touches on the character of man, 
the character of God, the problem that man has with truth, and finally, the core issue of integrity. So don't live like that gal, Arabella Young. I don't know if you've heard her story. Arabella Young has a tombstone somewhere, I read. There's her tombstone. She's in the ground. Her name, Arabella Young, printed on the tombstone. Her birth underneath. Her death, May 24th. And this inscription. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. That's a sad, sad epitaph. Yep. She finally held her tongue when she died. May that not ever be for a child of God. Well, it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. The ultimate truth is eternal truth. And the ultimate lie is eternal lie. And one of the first eternal truths that the Bible underscores is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the first eternal truth. Nobody can make it on their own. We're all failures in some degree, in some course. Followed by another truth. Someday we'll stand before God to answer for our lives. Followed by a third truth. Those who have not repented or come in contact with the one who gives life and cleanses by his blood will face an eternity without him. The fourth is the best truth of all. Forgiveness is available for everyone who believes. Those who confess and those who turn that lavish love of Christ. The one who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Don't forget that first word, the way. The way. He is the way for all truth breakers. For all of us who have fallen short to enter into His kingdom and glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, one of the reasons we come every week is to look into what Your Word calls the law of liberty, the word of truth. We're called to love the truth because love rejoices not in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. And so, Lord, we have your standard. And in looking at your standard, we realize that every one of us at some point have fallen short of that standard. And hence the gospel that takes the imperfect, we all are, and cleanses and saves. Lord, I pray this evening as we close that anyone who has not surrendered their life to Christ, to the way, the truth, and the life, would come in sincerity and in truth to start anew. Some may have made a commitment when they were children, teenagers. It was wonderful, it was innocent enough, but it hasn't been followed up on. There's no real relationship, there's no daily, honest, truthful walk with God. And some have gathered tonight, Lord, and because of that, there's that sense of dissatisfaction and emptiness. They're seeking for the true way, 
a true path. And Lord, I pray that some who have come would surrender their lives to Christ. So as our heads are bowed, as we're praying tonight, we ask once again, as we do so often and so many respond each week, if God has been speaking to you lately or if you've come simply out of curiosity, if you in examining your life and looking at your own heart would say, I need a Savior and I'm willing to admit that, I want to know that my sins are forgiven and that I can stand before God cleansed. I'm willing to give my life to Him. I'm willing to surrender to Him tonight. Whether you did that a long time ago and never followed up on it or you've never honestly done that in your life, I'm going to ask you to do it tonight. And if you are willing to do exactly that, then before we close this service, I want you to simply raise your hand up as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Just raise your hand up. You're saying, Skip, notice my hand. Pray for me. I'm going to give my life to Christ right now, right here. I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm not going to put it off another day. I'm going to surrender my life to Him. Just raise your hand up in the air so I can see it. I'll acknowledge you and we'll pray for you as we close this service. Room. God bless you guys. Father, we rejoice for those, Lord, who have just raised the hand and admitted the need and will now come and receive your lavish grace because of that. Lord, we pray for them. We thank you for their coming. We, we pray, Lord, that there would be that sense of release from burden, release from guilt, as they understand your love for them, as they turn from the past and they turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.